This is the Welcome to Perth podcast, showcasing the stories behind our events, entertainment and lifestyle. These are the stories of how they came to be and what the future has in coming. Listeners, we've got Fraser Johnson here, uh, ex uh, director of Metric Events. Uh, for all you people that are, you know, mid twenties and above, you would you'd certainly know Metric Events. But for the eighteen-year-olds listening, you, you might not. And uh, yeah, a lot of the events you go to now were, were certainly influenced by Metric Events. And uh, and now uh, they've they've moved away from uh, from doing a lot of events, and now they've uh, they've got Made in the Pile, which is a digital agency uh, creating social media for for different companies. Uh, and he's also the director of Pile Rats. Uh, and give us a little rundown of, of what Pile Rats is, Bryce. Also, Pile Rats is a uh, music news and youth culture uh, media arm. Um, so we founded that back in 2012 when we had a collection of um, creatives around us that were all kind of working on the event stuff and we were, you know, starting to ungracefully hit our mid to late 20s and uh, wanting a parachute out of events. So we decided to consolidate um, all the team that was working on it and launch a, a new brand. And um, it started off as a, a uh, interactive iPad and iPhone magazine um, through Newsstand and then... Um, yeah, Apple didn't really want to fund Newsstand anymore, so our whole business model collapsed and we pivoted into the, the website being the, the main source of news. Um, and that's a brand that's, you know, been um, involved particularly in the Australian music scene um, pretty heavily and I think it, it offers an independent and pretty um, of-the-times voice in the landscape. Um, but, yeah, at the moment... Um, that's run by uh, editor Hayden Davies, who's an absolute lord. He's, um, he's been crushing it and took the baton from uh, Troy Mutton uh, a few years ago now. But um, yeah, that's, that's essentially Pirates. We, we focus on Australian music and, and uh, I guess bolstering young talent. Love it. It's been a uh, it's been a journey, and I've been following you know what you guys have been doing for. Oh, over 10 years now. Um, so, yeah, I guess a little short snap before we, before we really delve into, into, um, into the beginning. What have been, what were, what were a couple highlights of, uh, of when you were running metric events? Fuck. Um, I actually, I was looking for some like artwork references recently for a job we were doing. And um, we, we threw 10 years ago in September, we threw, uh, Skrillex's first WA show uh, when we were running Republic Nightclub. We did it with um, Scott Meller and Delby uh, through, a co- through a collab event. And it was, uh, I think, a room of 500 people at Republic Nightclub, which was a male strip club up until midnight where uh, all your hens parties and whatnot would go. And it was run by this like crazy, eccentric, old lunatic called Cowboy. Um, and he, everyone thought he was gay because he, he had these Daisy Duke shorts with his ass hanging out. This guy's like 60, by the way. Um, he, yeah, it ranged between 40 and 70. He's had a lot of work done. But <laughs> shout out to Cowboy. <laughs> Some of him is only 10 years old, I imagine. Oh, man. He's, 
he was a a unicorn. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he he ran this place and he was absolutely batshit crazy and always kept us on our toes. And um, we we would take over the club at midnight and uh, turn it into uh, the products we were running at the at the time, which were like mother and father um, alternating Saturday nights. And yeah, we threw this little uh, party to. Uh, 500 people with Skrillex and Ollie Sykes was up there and and did a, a guest appearance on one of the tracks and funnily enough one of the guys who was there doing the video um fuck what's his I'm trying to think of his handle now anyway he um he went on to become Skrillex's videographer like touring videographer and um oh was that, yeah, um, he, that Underwood yeah I what I was what was his handle? I think it was like Sucker Punch or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, but yeah, um, Underwood's gone on to do great things. And <laughs> he was, yeah, Felix's uh, tour on. videographer. And he's now, um, he's, I've seen him now doing, he now works for The Rock as his like personal videographer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Will Smith. <laughs> yeah, he's done stuff for Will Smith and The Rock. I think he did The Rock's wedding, um, all from this little, uh, Thing we threw in a strip club so Love pretty that. cool story a very cool story um all right so that was a, that was a highlight I, I was actually there that night that was a that was a that was a pretty crazy night um, when Skrillex played um and there was a, I imagine nearly most nights at Republic were crazy for people that, that went down there there was always, <laughs> always a fair bit going on uh what was the low light um of doing metric events um I think most business owners would probably have similar experiences with uh especially young businesses um we were pretty young when we started um we were throwing events at uni and decided that we could you know do it for cash and essentially dropped out of uni just to party and get paid for it so that was like the bedrock of our business um and then it, it kind of got to a scale where you know we were throwing um so many nights around Perth that we're doing, you know, between three and 4,000 people through the doors every week. And that just got uh, huge and it was great and usually successful, but we were really shit at the actual running of the business and the back end of paying tax and making sure like all your ducks are in a row. So you're not going to get fucked years down the track. So um, yeah, that, that was definitely a low light. We, we ended up, um, I think the culmination of it was like all of our events just started teetering off. Um, and then we lost, I think about 300 grand on a Wonderland, um, which was one of our festivals. And we, we were supporting a staff of almost 50 at that point in time between um, the, the event side, Power Rats and the agency. Um, all, all three were running in tandem at one point in time. And, um, yeah, we just got up shit creek without a paddle, to be honest. So we we had to uh, liquidate metric, um, which which was a sad day, but I think it was also probably time. Like we were, we were getting a bit too old to be in a club, and and probably the want and um, passion for it wasn't there anymore. But um, yeah, I guess that was definitely a low light. I, it was kind of years of us um, paying off debtors and and the ATO and. And um, yeah, kind of getting like we're like we're at the point where we're getting like daily calls from people being like, oh, we're gonna you know, take you to court and all that kind of shit. And we managed to navigate navigate our way out of that. And uh, now we're we've finally 
kind of recovered a few years later and um yeah a lot a lot smarter and wiser for it i um i often think would i go through that again and i think it was a hugely valuable lesson but um fuck it was uh yeah kept you up at night (laughs) well yeah events are are a risky business and um from memory that it it rained in a december date for that festival in Subiaco. yeah we we had i think seven festivals during summer in a row that rained so like someone out there didn't want us throwing festivals. <laughs> in Perth too, not not in New in Zealand or, or in England in summer, which is just standard. That, um, Perth, I, I'd love to know that what that would pay uh, in, in a sports bet account for uh, for seven in Multi. a row. <laughs> that would be uh, probably 300 grand. <laughs> That's what it would pay. Yeah. Uh, well, um, yeah, well, well done on navigating um, out of that and, uh, and being in the position that, you know, you know, you're one of the, the top agencies now uh, in in WA, uh, and I dare say pushing up there for, for Australia. So it's been um, yeah, it's been impressive to watch you guys watch you guys grow and and probably have to pivot and adapt and change your business model and um, yeah and get out the other side because a lot of other people would have probably just put a uh, put a flag up and set up. I'm just gonna you know uh, get away from here. So well done. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. It was, uh, it's probably more like bullish stupidity and <laughs> ego more than anything, but uh, <laughs> yeah, where you learn, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's rewind all the way back to the start. Uh, so you're at uni um, at UWA, and so you're. Um, uh, where did you go to school? Actually, just before you you, you um, ventured into UWA. Uh, me and my business partner um, and my best mate of. 20 odd years, over 20 years now. Um, Alex Payoff, we both went to Guildford Grammar. Um, so started in prep school there and then, yeah, obviously high school and then went to UWA and both both ended up at UWA. I was doing architecture and he was doing engineering and um, being a fresher at UWA, um, when we were there, there was a vibrant social scene there. Like there were a lot of uni clubs, a lot of parties. Um, O-Camp was, was still a thing before it got shut down and, Probably a good thing it got shut down, given given the, uh, the matter current of landscape. You yeah. couldn't get away with that shit today. Um, but uh, yeah, we 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 were involved in a lot of the clubs there, and um, like yeah, obviously really enjoyed the the freedom of being in uni and partying, and then um, decided to start our own club, uh, which is still alive today. Um, I have a, yeah kind of feel like that thing should have died years ago but um <laughs> they're, they're still throwing parties um and yeah we we found a bit of a niche um and you know the the uni crowd was super supportive um for events obviously because they just love thinking tips so um it, it wasn't too hard to get people to a party um and then yeah that that really led to i think alex got the opportunity to throw a party at gold bar in um Subi and they, they say, oh, if you can bring a crowd down, we'll give you like a 250 bucks bar card. So we just like hustled the fuck out of people and got them there and thought it was great. And then we realized how much money they were making on the door and over the bar. And we're like, what the fuck did we do that for? So, um, yeah, Jack Maisel ended up giving us a shot at a, uh, a weekly night uh, at Red Sea called Cheek, which is still running today. Um, but we're no longer involved. But yeah, that's, that's another one that's 
probably going on too long. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was the that was the start of it, and then um, yeah, with the momentum of of Cheek, um, just being this kind of loose uni style of party where you didn't have to wear dress shoes or a college shirt and you could be a bit of a fuckwit um without getting thrown out was kind of the ethos and um and yeah we had a lot of fun with that and pretty much lived there every wednesday for i don't know how many years but it took a few off my life i'm sure um and then yeah rolled into the republic game which was um yeah saturday nights and yeah we, we did mondo fridays um village bar wednesdays did a couple in Joondalup, I think, and Freo had prayed. So, yeah, we had we had a pretty expansive network of events um, at one point in time, and yeah, it's a, it's a shitload of fun. <laughs> so, um, with for people that don't um, that don't you know that go to events but have never really thought of this, how how, how do you make money? Uh, obviously, the, the the easy answer is um, over the door. But would you do uh, any other other sort of deals with with venues? Yeah, I mean, typically it was um, we would get the room, we would pay for promotion, marketing, talent like DJs. Um, any activities, anything like that would come out of our budget and we'd charge um, more or less what we wanted to on the door. Um, there were a couple of circumstances where it didn't make sense to charge on the door. Like we had, um, when we had Cheek, we had Village Bar Wednesdays, um, which was kind of the prees for Cheek. Um, and that was more of a pub and acoustic venue. So it, it didn't make a lot of sense to charge people there. So we, we took a cut of the bar spend. Um, and yeah that that was probably the only time we really did a revenue share with a bar i know it's a lot more common now um i think people are a lot more sensitive with their money so um, people wanting to pay um, is a bit more fickle um and i know quite a few places at the moment are, are tending to do the, the revenue share model but um back in the day like when we started i think there was only three or four promoters in Perth. So we were able to really carve out a corner of the market and, um, and charge appropriately. But yeah, that might've been our downfall in the end was maybe charging too high and getting a bit greedy. But um, yeah, we, we always pumped a lot back into the events in terms of, um, you know, weird shit that was going in there and like ball pits, face painting, fucking cake fights, whatever. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, why do you think? Um, why do you think it's changed over the last few years with uh, really reversing out of that um, door charge? Um, yeah, because it, 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 it was just a door charge nearly everywhere you went uh, ten years ago, nine years ago, eight years ago, and now you walk around and there's hardly any clubs that, that are charging door. Well, I think there's a lot more competition out there at the moment. Um, obviously a shitload more promoters than was, were around back in the day. Um, I think people are uh, obviously a lot more, um, I, I think with, when the mining boom kind of softened up a bit, um, it, it trickled down and a lot of people had a lot less money, especially the youth. And they were more in, interested in um, you know, doing it cheaply, but also probably saving it for, a couple of big events rather than like going out weekly and, and spending that 10, 15 bucks to get in every week. It was more of like a, you know, let's go to a house party, get fucked up there. And then, you know, we'll go to a festival, which will cost us a couple hundred bucks. So I think people are a lot more kind of choosy with what events they spend money on and, and 
there are I also think there's a there's a little bit of like a cyclical nature to like going out there's house parties and I think like everyone's kind of felt it where they get a bit burnt out by going out so they want to go to house parties more and then they get a bit over house parties so they want to go out more um I think that's just the ebb and flow cycle of it all um yeah and then I, I guess it was sort of when metric finished up, then um, that sort of left a, a hole in the market, which which was taken um, by probably Pineapple Club and, and then your, your sort of your seasons after um, at the same time as Pineapple, just a little bit later on uh, with local artists and um, charging a lot mm. less um, for still a sort of a festival setup, but not actually um, bringing in your, your flight facilities or your Hayden James that you guys, you guys would, would be known for or your Alice in Wonderland or even remember the, the Flume show that you did. I think it was Flume, What's So Not, Alice in Wonderland and, and now uh yeah down at uh out in the swan valley um where, what was yeah, that Belvoir. Belvoir, yeah that, i mean yeah. have a look at that lineup now that's a um i mean it was good then yeah. and, and I, that was probably my favorite festival that i that i went to with everyone having the little uh finger lights on at the end as as flume was uh was playing his his set but um yeah um why do you think it's it's moved away from from that um to them being locals do you think it's just it's just a, a cost thing or do you think it's just part of this cycle um that's a really good question i think like uh phil and and the dsv guys were fucking genius at at jumping on that market um and recognizing the want um of the market at that point in time i think we we were throwing boutique festivals um and, and saw a promise there but there was definitely a bit of a feeling that we didn't really realize being that we were a local festival um, and not a touring festival. It meant that we couldn't kind of reduce costs over a spread of five events where, you know, say we might offer someone a hundred grand for one show. They could offer them 60 grand each show for five. Um, so economies of scale didn't really work for us with those events. But in terms of um, market demand, I think, a lot of people use festivals as an excuse just to get fucked up and have fun with their mates. So the the want for um, seeing acts which which tour pretty red like pretty readily like a lot of acts you see on a lineup now are playing every fucking festival that's touring. There's like you know similar acts on the lineup. Um, so spending 200 bucks to see that when really you're just going to be like sideways walking around blithely and <laughs> bumping into people and having a good time. It isn't probably the most appealing thing. So I think what the guys did by focusing on the party, less so the acts was, was a really smart move and um, it has obviously worked really, really well for them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's a good operator, Phil and, uh, and, and his team. Um, so now you, you're at the point where, um, you've been throwing all these events and essentially you've been growing and growing and growing. Uh, and then the rain gods have decided that you shouldn't do events anymore and have um, pissed down on you for seven big shows in a row. Uh, and then, yeah, what, what was that like? Was it, were you sort of contemplating, you know, should I go back to uni? Should I, um, you know, completely 
give up on this sort of um yeah i guess this rabbit hole that that you were going down with um with events and and sort of marketing comes with events that's that they're, they're hand in hand because you were um doing a lot of graphic design weren't you um and uh, that's you were as well as marketing that's sort of one of your um, one of your skill sets yeah so when we started metric i was doing all the graphic design work for that and fuck I look back at some of the cheat posters and I want to neck myself like it's so <laughs> fucking bad um definitely learn a lot since then um but yeah I think like when things started turning pear-shaped it all happened really really quickly um we again one of those lessons you learn where um no one's going to have a better view on the financials of your business than you are or care enough um so we we had a um director of finance um, employed uh, and we probably weren't attentive enough with um, reviewing the work and, and making sure we're in an okay position and we're, we're using a lot of our, uh, you know, what we're putting, meant to be putting aside the tax to fuel growth and, and new opportunities rather than putting that aside. So when we became aware of how bad the situation was and when the events weren't there to fund the growth um, or pay back, you know, what we'd been kind of leveraging from the tax side of things, it, um, it all fell over really quickly. So it was, there wasn't a lot of uh, opportunity, I guess, to think too far forward. Like we were really in a, a fight or flight kind of scenario where each day was its own set of problems and, um, we were just trying to navigate the shit show as best we could. Um, so it was, it was tough. It was really tough um, to keep, you know, the, the teams together um, on the agency side when everything fell over. Both myself and Alex um, didn't end up paying ourselves for close to 12 months, um, moved back in with the parents. Like, luckily we had, uh, we were fortunate enough to have the, you know, the parents to um, support us through that and give us a, a, a place to live and, and food on the plate. Um, I, I know not everyone's in that kind of fortunate circumstance. So, um, yeah, we we got through it. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was pretty fucked, to be honest, man. It's probably the worst time of my life, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but looking back at it now, to have that experience before you're 30 um, has really been a valuable lesson and, and something that, I, I don't think I'd trade now knowing what we went through then. Like, you know, no family to support, like no kids in school, no mortgage. Like we were at a point in our lives where we could really fuck up that bad and did not ruin the rest of our lives. So yeah, yeah happy it happened when it did. <laughs> and, and not when you're 40. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. you're not going to get that sort of experience in any business um, degree uh, uh than doing it yourself and actually going through those those problems and you know it's yeah it's it's certainly um very admirable and like i said to not just uh not just to tap out and then just actually push through and then you know end up paying those debts and um and then growing as a company too because i think um i think yeah 
I think that's also what builds trust as well with um, with people that have seen you seen you go through it and then and then push through rather than someone that just pretends that nothing's nothing's gone wrong or there's been no fuck ups and um, and you know trying to just um, gloss over it. So um, yeah, what a what a full on time. And so you spent sort of a year, a couple of years trying to um, relook at your business model and working out where uh, where your skill set was as a, as a company and what you could provide um, other companies? Yeah, so we, we actually figured out in, in the whole midst of running events that our strength maybe wasn't not so much in events, but the, the marketing of them. Um, Metric really came about as a, as a product of social media, um, like Facebook and Instagram were kind of just popping off. It was free to market. Um, you know, the, the style of advertising was so different and the kind of metrics you'd get back were so rich that um, we, were, we were quite proficient at marketing um, on Facebook uh, while other companies were kind of fobbing it off, um, especially, you know, your traditional agencies that, rely on um, traditional media like TV and, and print. Um, so that, that was a big advantage for us, um, being able to be so savvy at that through spending our own money through it. We had to be super efficient um, and look at the best ways of advertising and split testing and um, you know figuring out what words worked better, what colors worked better. Like everything we learned through that gave us the, the bread and butter skills to create the agency and have uh, a unique niche in the market and to be able to say to clients, we've done this, we've spent our own money in Facebook to figure this out um, is definitely a, a pretty strong thing to walk into a meeting with. So that, that was um, definitely the launch pad for the agency. We, we had some really great creatives as well through Parats in the events. Um, Tay Kaka, who's our, our head of videography still today and an absolute legend. I know he's worked with you a fair bit as well. Um, you know, he's a, a, an owner in the company as well and he's been there from day dot. Um, love that guy. <laughs> he's a talented dude, isn't he? He's a, such he a is. chilled out dude and a modest dude, but he's, uh, yeah, he's supremely talented. He's uh, made some of the, uh, the best videos. I still, uh, I, I didn't watch the, uh, the Skrillex video that he actually um, um, put together. Um, what, what's, yeah. what's, what song was that that he put together? That was Summit. Um, and someone messaged me the other day, it's sitting at 145 million views, um, <laughs> which is just fucking unreal. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a video that he put together and we were all kind of, uh, it was really following that. Fuck it. It's a pretty good wrap up of the metric days, actually. If, if people want a bit of insight to what life was like back then, um, look up uh, Summit by Skrillex. Yeah, I'll put I'll, and, uh, I'll put it in the show notes actually because that's uh, that is a cracker cracker video. There's there's just antics the whole way through. It's, you can't actually take your eyes off the video. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a lot of fun and um and yeah, Tay absolutely nailed it, of course. But that that was essentially the launch pad for Pirates. We were like, oh, if uh, you know, Skrillex uh, launches this video for us and we put a link to Pirates in there, we're going to be millionaires. <laughs> 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 Bit naive there, but um, yeah, that that was that was how we launched Power Apps actually. So that was, that was interesting. Very cool. So um, now you've just been on a on a trajectory of growth uh, as a company. 
and um, yeah, how, how are things going um, over the last couple of years? And then also give us a little bit of insight on um, the challenges you face now with, with COVID hitting. Yeah, um, really good, man. Like, obviously, there was a bit of a um, recovery period when we were coming out of all the debts and ATO bullshit. Um, but we, you know, we, we kind of bootstrapped the agency. We got a little bit of an investment in as well. Um, and over, we've been operating for about five years now, I think, um, as an agency, maybe a little bit less. But um, particularly in the last few years, I think we're, we're starting to find our feet. Um, definitely playing the game a little bit more in terms of what, what you have to do to get recognised as an agency and um, entering awards and, and whatnot and trying to do some really creative work. Um, we've got some great creatives in the team who really fuel that. Um, but yeah, the last few years, um, you know, we've, we've won a handful of awards. We, we got a few distinctions and a, and a merit at um, the Agra Awards last year. Um, fair few finalists picked up a few skulls at PADC. So it's really nice for the team to get that recognition of all the hard work and knowing that the juice is worth the squeeze. And um, yeah, it's not something we'd previously done before in entering awards, but definitely something um, that that was very valuable as, as a bit of a recognition for the team to know that we're heading in the right direction. Um, and yeah, man, we've, we've really been growing the business in terms of, you know, the amount of clients we've got and the, and the size of the contract. Um, we're getting to the point now where we're able to say no to work, which is always a nice place to be in. Um, yeah. A lot of the time it's just a grind of take on everything you can because you need to pay the bills. But um, yeah, now we're, we're fortunate enough to be able to, uh, dictate terms a little bit more and, and get a better outcome for clients by saying no to certain things, which is great. Um, and yeah, COVID in particular has been a very, very interesting one. Um, when, uh, like we're obviously through our um, pedigree in the events and hospo game, we, um, we we had a proficiency there and then took on a lot of hospo and events clients. So uh, COVID really uncovered a, a pretty big exposure in, in terms of the diversity of our clients. Um, so, yeah, when things hit, like, we were down a lot. Um, you know, majority of our business or probably half of it was built on hospital and events. So we, we felt a pretty big hit initially when everything was um, closing down and wrapping up. Um, and we, we had to have some really frank conversations with ourselves as a management body um, about what we wanted in life and and is this thing worth doing and, and whatnot. And then also with the team. And we all decided that rather than um, firing staff and letting people go, uh, the whole staff body agreed that they'd take a, a sizable pay cut to keep the team together. And that just shows a lot of their character. Um, they're very team-minded and um, wanted to, to look after each other and the clients that we still had. So we went to a four-day working week. Um, everyone took a huge pay cut and we started working from home. Um, just, you know, we wanted to get on the front foot and not um, put people at risk um, health-wise. But... That, uh, that worked really well. We built the business to be online anyway, so all of our processes and, and programs were digital, um, so the transition wasn't as bad as we thought it would be. Um, and yeah, it, it's funnily enough, even though we went down so much um, and you know took a hit, 
it opened up a lot of space for uh, new avenues of income and um, different types of relationships with clients and, and growing in different industries. So uh, looking back on it, huge opportunity actually, and, and we're able to, to grow in some other areas and all the events and hospital clients are starting to slowly trickle back in um, varying degrees. So we're, we're really coming out the other end of this probably stronger than where we went into it. Um, revenue's still down, obviously, um, but things are tracking really, really well. Um, and, you know, as a business, we tend to flux, um, expand, contract, expand, contract, and, and find those efficiencies in the contraction. So um, we're, we're definitely a, a smarter business at the end of this. And then um, uh, I think we've got a lot more opportunities on our plate as well. Yeah, so much more diversified now as a company compared to March. Yeah. yeah. And now, because you're playing in the space, you know, day in, day out, what's, what's your thoughts on where social media uh, is going, where marketing's going? Uh, you know, you keep hearing about VR, but it, it doesn't seem to be at a maturity rate yet to really be playing a factor. You've got TikTok that is uh, doing some massive numbers uh, and, you know, people are really starting to pay attention now. That's probably, that was probably the one business that absolutely took off uh, from a pandemic was, was TikTok. Everyone all of a sudden had time to get their dad involved in a, in a TikTok video uh, when normally yeah. he'd be out and about saying, turn it off. So, um, and that's, you know, so that's now gone from being a teen uh, app to, really maturing so yeah what's your what's your just your generalized thoughts on uh on on that space and where where marketing is going yeah always really bullish on new technologies and integrating that into marketing i think sometimes it can come off a little bit gimmicky um and you know your point earlier touching on vr not being a really mature space i think spot on um i think like vr and ar um are definitely going to be the big hitters in the next kind of 10 years. I think AR is definitely, uh, that's a space we've invested in a lot in terms of um, creating branded filters um, and whatnot on uh, like Instagram, um, Facebook, Snapchat. So I think that there's a lot of promise there. I, I think it presents a new way of marketing where it's uh, you're not uh, trying to sell people on something, but you're increasing brand experience for your users and your curating community. So I think that's, uh, got to be the cornerstone of marketing going forward is rather than shouting rhetoric at people or being disingenuous is just creating an experience where they actually want to participate with your brand and, and building a community around that. Um, I think the days where you could um, just put up a special or, or uh, just kind of shout in people's face, that's over. Uh, brands doing that get fucking slayed on the internet. So. Um, yeah, definitely introducing some of that new tech to become a bit more um, communicative with your with your crowd is, is what you want to be doing. Um, where's it going in terms of TikTok, Facebook? I think like Facebook's obviously like pretty big at the moment, but the younger kids aren't adopting it as much. They're definitely leaning more on Snapchat and TikTok, um, which are a bit harder to infiltrate in terms of a marketing sense and, and to do it genuinely. Um, there's a few brands who have really like nailed it, but um, I think for the most part, uh, yeah, just like advertising on those platforms can't be traditional serving people ads. It really needs to integrate with the brand. Um, and 
Yeah, it's it's going to be yeah, an interesting 10 years, uh, what we're going to be talking about marketing-wise then. And do you think um, television adverts are, are still going to be, you know, still going to be operating with all streaming services now? Uh, no. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a, uh, I think the writing's on the wall a little bit with, with TV. And unless they can pivot their business model or... or how it's yeah i just don't see tv in its current state surviving and you've probably just everyone noticing it drop off like i i don't have my tv plugged into the antenna um why would you the tv shit the ads are annoying um it it's just not the way that people like to consume content anymore um streaming's obviously the big thing at the moment um and those paid services where you don't get ads um so, you know, like what a crock of shit with fucking Foxtel that you pay a premium and you get ads. Like, go fuck yourself. Like, well, on. they've come out with, I think, I think they, they're pivoting because I think they could see the writing on the wall. I mean, so their, their, yeah, sport, yeah. their sport channels work really well for them, but I think their entertainment was really, is really struggling. So I think that's why they've gone to that, because they've got KO now and I think that's how yeah, they're trying yeah. to diversify. But yeah, you're, you're spot on. It's um, why, am I, why am I paying a hundred bucks or whatever a month? uh to then watch ads so yeah and and even the fucking metrics you get back from those traditional platforms are just fucking bullshit like like 65 grand for like you know a few full page ads in the west australian like how many people do that reach uh, i don't know yeah yeah like, fuck off like, <laughs> like can you imagine what you could do with 65 grand in social media it's like astronomical so a gazing, um, gazing type marketing, isn't it? Just saying, uh, what is it like? Um, possible reach um, rather than actual engagement or, or actual views. Because the adverts on TV, everyone's got their phone out if they are watching normal TV. So they're looking at their phone and they're probably um, consuming, you know, adverts on their phone during those ad breaks. Yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, I, I just think like that whole industry is getting exposed for some of the, the bullshit. Um, I think, you know, at a time it was probably relevant because it was the only way that people were absorbing entertainment. But um, now those metrics just don't stack up. And uh, I think the, the days of ripping people off with traditional media are coming to a close. I think like traditional can still have a place in, in pretty broad campaigns, especially when you're trying to target those older demographics. But for youth, youth brands, like, why would you bother? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, a, you know, a f seven festivals and it's rained on you uh, <laughs> to get through that. And now a pandemic uh, to come through and uh, cook half of your clients, at least for, uh, for the short term, to, yeah, to now be diversifying and actually going through a growth phase. Um, I reckon there's some pretty exciting things on the horizon for, for you and, and your company uh, with how you're able to yeah, pivot and adapt to the changing landscape. So well done on, yeah, what, uh, what an interesting ride it's been over the last probably 12 years of business for you and looking forward to seeing what you do with the next 12, mate. Thanks, mate. Appreciate the time and, um, yeah, good luck with everything on your end as well.